My name is Christian. As you saw there, it's an honor for me to be here tonight. I'm so excited. We're in our relationship series. We've been having fun. We've been seeing how the first week God created us out of relationship for relationship. Firstly, with Him. Secondly, with all of the people around us. Okay, if you missed that sermon, please go watch it uh, again. It's on YouTube. It's on Apple Podcast. It's on Spotify. It's on Deezer. And for those who were born with Moses, it is on SoundCloud as well. You can go have a look at that. Then, um, last week, Wesley did an incredible job speaking about sex, yes? All right, the world is shouting a message about sex. We need to speak louder and with more confidence based on truth, so I want to encourage you to go listen to that. But this week, our topic is the space between us. It is about conflict. We're talking about conflict, Okay. Anyone here who like conflict? Oh my word, Kyla, that was quick. Where's Quibus? Sorry, bro. Yes, I honor you. That was very quick. Okay, Peter, I've experienced your conflict. I love it. Who here dreads conflict? You do not. Okay, yes. Here's the real question, and you don't have to raise your hand. Are you good at it? Are you good at conflict? And when I say that, you say, yes, I usually win. That's not at all what I'm talking about, okay? (laughs) When I'm asking, are you good at conflict? Here's what you need to know. Everyone here, tonight, I want to encourage you. I just have this feeling, even even for the youth. All of the youth are here. Where's where's our high schoolers? All of you, raise your hands. Where are you guys? There we go. Yes. (laughs) Honor you guys. I want to see a generation starting from grade eight of peacemakers, those who know how to handle conflict with their friends. Yes, Edrich, I'm talking to you tonight as well, okay? Students, I do not wanna have to teach you how to handle conflict when you're sitting in your marriage across from the table and it's an absolute wreck. Right now, before you go anywhere, conflict is inevitable. It's gonna happen. The closer you get to someone, the more you're gonna realize how flawed they are, the more they're gonna realize how flawed you are, and the more you're gonna have conflict. Here's the thing. It's either gonna be constructive conflict, so you handle it well and builds the relationship, or it's gonna be destructive. You're handling it poorly, and it breaks the relationship. The second reason you need to be good at this is because Jesus commands us. Matthew chapter five, verse nine. Jesus in the Beatitudes on the Temple Mount Oh, not the Temple Mount, man. He's sharing the Beatitudes, okay? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Can you say, peacemakers are children of God? There we go. It was such a high priority for Jesus Christ that he said, Your fruit as my child will be that you make peace. That's not that you pretend that there's peace. It's that you actively work towards it. Okay. So as I was preparing this sermon today, I realized that I'm not going to be able to give you the mother of all conflict sermons that's going to solve the war in Ukraine. But what I can do, by God's grace and mercy, is no matter how complex or sensitive your situation is, equip you with a couple of principles that if you really apply them, you surrender to Jesus Christ. In every conflict situation, you can pave the way for peace to be made. Reconciliation between people and between people and God. Amen? 
So a lot of my sermon is based on an awesome book called The Peacemaker. It is a, a, a course that I recently had to do as part of my bachelor's in theology. I want to encourage you guys, the book from Ken Sander. Get the book. It'll change your life. There's research. They are some of the best peacemakers in the world is their ministry. It's called Peacemaker Ministries, okay? So go have a look. Get the book. It's going to help you. But um, with that, let's get into the sermon and let's see where God takes us. First point we need to discuss. If we're going to handle conflict, we need to know where does conflict come from? Where does all conflict come from? James chapter 4, verse 1 to 2. James chapter 4, verse 1 to 2 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. According to this scripture, every conflict comes. The youth, I love it. You guys are picking up every single mannerism I have. According to the scripture, conflict is this. It, it most often arises when you don't get what you want. That's when conflict happens. Yes. Even if it's basic human needs that you feel you should have the right to, conflict happens when you don't get what you want. Ken Sander says, conflict can be defined as a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. This is where conflict comes from. Now, I want you to pay attention to that word. You can quickly go back to the scripture of James chapter, uh, James chapter 4. There's a word there that calls, that's covet. Okay, anyone here who can completely define the word covet for me? Raise your hand. Anyone who can define it? Okay. That, Jonna says a little bit. Yes, okay, you can try. Don't worry, you don't have to. So, I just wanted to, wanted to see who's bold enough. Coveting is the 10th commandment. And it is one of those commandments that you can break while sitting on a chair being quiet. Right there where you're sitting now, you can covet. Because it's a commandment that doesn't speak about action, it speaks about your heart, it speaks about your thoughts, it speaks about your motivations. Do you know what's the opposite of covet? Contentment. The opposite of to covet is to be so content to love God so much that you're completely content in your relationship with Him. That's what it means to be content. So to covet means you're so discontent with your relationship with God, so in your heart you're looking for something else to fill the hole. That's coveting. It's not an action, it's a heart motivation. So in summary, conflict arises when your desires are not met or when you desire some things more than you desire a relationship with God. That's where all conflict comes from. And now, for us to start making headway, you need to be able to ask the question. Before you go into any conflict, you need to ask some questions. You need to ask, what is it that I have desired that caused this conflict to arise? What is my role in this? Is it a self-centered desire? And how can God perhaps be enough for my desire before I jump into this conflict. Now, because our, dires, our desires are so extremely strong, there is a way that we tend to handle conflict that is not godly. How do we tend to handle conflict? That's point number two. We either fight or we flight. We attack. That's the next slide. You guys can go to the next slide. Yes. Any moment. There we go. We fight or flight. We're either peace breakers 
or we're peace fakers. Peace breakers are those who assault. Now, I'm not saying that assaulting just physically. They're assaulting verbally. They're shouting. By the way, shouting, lowest form of verbal communication. In any conflict, if shouting starts, stop. You've already lost. You've lost, stop, retreat, take a moment, cool down. You have lost it. You have lost this conflict. People who usually do the peace-breaking responses are more interested in winning the conflict than preserving relationships. They see conflict as an opportunity to assert themselves, to make sure that they get what they want, what they should have. They assault verbally, physically, litigation. In other words, they take people to court, which severely damages Christian testimony. By the way, yes, there are some disputes that need to be taken to court, but they will be so severe that everyone will agree you're not damaging your Christian testimony. And then there's murder now. Okay, most Christians won't murder, I hope. But here's the crazy thing. 1 John 3 verse 15 says that anyone who hates or does not forgive another person has already committed murder in their hearts. 1 John 3.15. Then there's the peace faking. Peace fakers are more interested in avoiding conflict than resolving. This is common in church. Guys, because we're all Christians, we say, hey, we should all just agree with each other, right? Let's just agree. Let's just act as if there is nothing. So there's denial. We pretend like it doesn't exist, but obviously it does. We try and scrape it under the mat And then in two weeks' time, we don't deal with one thing. We need to deal with 10 things. There's flight. There's running away. The running away, that's people who like to run out of the house. They leave the conversation. They end the friendship. They quit the job. They file for the divorce. Or they change churches. Those are those who run away. Guys, can you tell me what is our fifth core value? In this church, what's number five? Family. Family. It's called family. This is not an organization, okay? You get hurt here, you don't run away. That's what organizations do. That's not what families do. In families, when you get hurt, you need to sort it out, okay? If God has planted you in this family and you believe he's moving you over to another family, it's not gonna be because you got hurt here. You need to restore, reconcile, stop faking peace, Stop flighting, stop running away. Come face up, speak to your leaders. Let us help mediate, sort it out. Because if you're gonna go to another church, we'd love for it to be in a place where we as leaders send you and bless other spiritual families with incredible leaders under no other circumstances. Only, way, only time it's okay to step away is to temporarily withdraw from maybe a confusing, an emotional or a physically threatening situation for a moment, and then we restore. And then there's suicide. This is when hope is lost. Now, by the way, the third leading cause of death in teenagers in the United States is suicide. It's the third highest leading cause. You wanna know something crazy? Most of the time it was because of the way that conflict was handled in their families. Yes, 
I'm talking to future mothers and fathers right now. I'm talking to current teenagers. Leading cause, third leading cause, suicide. So which one do you tend to? Which response do you tend to or do you swing between the pendulum? Do you start with denial and then when you see there's no one, nowhere to run, then you fight? Why do we do this? Two reasons. It's a couple of reasons, but I've come up with two. Number one, we're insecure. Our identity in Jesus Christ. Whenever someone comes to us, they confront us, they address us, we take it personal. We say things like, they're not thinking about us, they don't care about us, they just care about themselves. We take it personal, we assume the worst, and we don't really investigate. Or we have idols, we have things we love more than Jesus Christ. And people are keeping them from us, so we swing between the pendulum. Okay. Final thing. How should we handle conflict? Now, I cannot talk about conflict without um, bringing up my conflict mentor slash partner, spouse, helper, beautiful, incredible, loving person who helps me with conflict. Yes, so I want to invite my wife. Can we give her a hand? Here is what we are going to do. We tonight are going to do a dialogue for you, okay? It's not something that happened in our house. It is about a real-life conflict situation that actually happened between two teachers, Janet and Larry. I'm Larry, she's Janet for obvious reasons. <laughs> and this is a situation where Janet handles this conflict perfectly like a peacemaker, and Larry does not. And from this conversation and from Scripture, we're going to draw four principles that helps us with being peacemakers for God. My wife, are you ready? Yes. Hi, Larry. All right. <laughs> Janet, okay. you can start. While Janet waited patiently for all of Larry's students to file through the door, she prayed a simple prayer of trust. Father, help me glorify you. When she saw that he was finished with his work and placing papers into his briefcase, she walked casually into the classroom. Larry, do you have a few minutes to talk? Um, I'm pretty busy right now. What do you want to talk about? I'd like to ask your forgiveness for the way I spoke to you last week and talk about how we are relating to each other. But if this isn't a convenient time... I could come back later. No, no, that's, that's okay. I've got a few minutes. Thanks. Well, like I said, I need to ask your forgiveness for what I said in the teacher's lounge last Wednesday. When you joked about me in front of Steve and Joyce, I lost my temper and lashed back at you. I was wrong, and I'm sure I embarrassed you. Would you please forgive me? Um, that's, that's okay. I know it can be abrasive at times, so yeah, just forget about it. Forgetting can take a long time. I'd appreciate it if you would say you forgive me. Sure, whatever, I forgive you. Let's just drop it. Janet has been planning this conversation for days. <laughs> if we only always had days, eh? For days with the help of a trained reconciler in a church. They had anticipated that Larry might try to brush their differences aside. 
so that role played how to keep the conversation going. Janet now put that planning into practice. <laughs> Since I blew it at you in front of Steve and Joyce, I want you to know that I plan to go to them and admit I was wrong. Is there anything else I can do to make this right with you? Anything else I've done to offend you? Um, no, not that I can think of. Maybe you can help me understand something. If I haven't done anything else to offend you, why do you say sarcastic things about me in front of others? Okay, that's a good, she's addressing the issue with a question, okay? A sincere question, it's brilliant, okay. <laughs> hey, I'm just kidding around, can't you take a joke? Maybe you don't mean to hurt me, but it really doesn't feel like a joke, Larry. It's embarrassing to be, to be made fun of in front of the people I work with every day. I don't think they find it fu funny either. And I don't think I'm the only person who's staying clear of the teacher's lounge just to avoid your jokes. Oh, so now I'm the big bad wolf and all the little pigs need to run home to hide. That's just what I mean, Larry. You seem to have a, bibli <laughs> you seem to have a habit of calling people names and tearing them down. It's not a good example for your students. And I'm sorry to say that I've, I've overheard some of the staff mocking your faith behind your back. Do you know what they are saying? What are they saying? They are calling you a hypocrite. They can't understand how you can claim to be a Christian and yet speak so critically all the time. Larry cringed at Janet's words and he began looking for a way to end the conversation. But before he could speak, however, Janet spoke gently. Larry, I don't think you meant to do it. I believe it. I believe you want to have a positive witness, but it seems like you're stuck in the habit of saying hurtful things to people. I've struggled with the same problem, Larry. I've hurt so many people with my words. Just ask my family. But our hurtful habits, ooh, our hurtful, but God is so forgiving. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He wants to free us from our hurtful habits. He doesn't want you and me fighting with each other. He would be so pleased if we, forgive each, if we forgave each other and work together to improve our relationship and our witness around here. Larry had never been approached like this in his life. The truth in Janet's words stung, but her tone of voice and the reminder of God's forgiveness held out a glimmer of hope. He slumped in his chair and sighed with weariness and regret. I don't deserve your forgiveness. I've torn you apart all year just like everyone else I've always used sarcasm when I don't know how to relate to people. I go home night after night knowing I blew it, but I just can't seem to change. Is there really hope for a jerk like me? Of course there is. If God can help me get control of my tongue, he can help anyone. Let's pray right now and ask him to show us how we can turn our past differences into opportunity to demonstrate his power in our lives. Awesome. Can you give my wife a hand? All right, so guys, it doesn't necessarily always go like this, but this is a real life situation between a woman who is a peacemaker. She took up the school, she prepared, and she went, and a man who is insecure. He just shared 
I don't know how to relate to people, so I'm just sarcastic. So this man is insecure, and, um, and look at how it went. So let's draw four principles. It's the four G's of peacemaking that I'm going to give you from this conversation and from Scripture. The first G is to glorify God. Glorify God. The question we ask when we come into conflict is, how can I please and honor God in this situation? How can I honor God? Can we all say, how can I honor God? It's the first question you ask. The purpose of every conflict, every single conflict is an opportunity to show the goodness of God, to point to who He is, to what He can do, give Him praise. Look at the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 to 11, verse 1. It says, Paul says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. In other words, your life is about the glory of God. Why should your conflict not also be? He says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they might be saved. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Godly conflict is not about getting what you want. It's not about getting what you want. And if you insist on that, conflict will never be solved. Godly conflict is first and foremost about honoring and glorifying God. It's got to be. Now, in our story, we, we hear what Larry makes conflict about, okay? For Larry, it's about winning the conversation and not looking bad. He says, now I'm the big bad wolf, you know? Now I'm the pig. In, in Afrikaans, we say, now it's actually for all, right? I'm always wrong. I'm always wrong. When someone says that, you're telling me that the purpose of this conflict for you is about not being wrong. It's not about the glory of God. It's about not being wrong. I'm saying this because each and every single one of you sitting here, you need to say, is my conflict, the way I handle conflict, the way I initiate it, really aimed at honoring, glorifying, and pleasing God? Guys, in my household with my wife, when we are stuck, when something happens, we need to say, okay, hold on, wait, hold on. How can we remove our desires from the situation and ask, God, you be glorified right now. We both humble ourselves. Look at Janet. Janet makes this conflict about God. Here's how she does it. Next slide. Firstly, she trusts God really. Before she goes into that conflict, she says, God, help me glorify you. She trusts him. She obeys him and she imitates him. Okay, she practiced this before and she looked at what scripture is saying about conflict and reconciliation. And when she went into this conflict, doesn't matter how many times Larry tried to pull the purpose away from glorifying God and to pleasing himself or to not looking bad, she kept focus to obeying and imitating God. She acknowledged God verbally. In the conflict, many times we don't want to say the name God or Jesus because it sounds like we're, we're using him to manipulate the situation to get what we want. But look at what Janice did, okay? What Janet did is she started off by first confessing, really saying sorry. Then she addressed, she addressed Larry 
And then she said, but Larry, I'm not addressing you because you have been a loser. I'm addressing you because God wants us to forgive one another. He wants us to improve our testimony here. I'm, I'm, I'm calling this out in you because there's a greater purpose for your life. Jesus Christ. She acknowledges him. The second principle, so you'll see at every principle I give you, I give you the principle, question, scripture, practically how. Do you see that? So you're gonna get a question, you're gonna get a scripture, and you'll get a couple of tips how to actually apply this principle. Principle number two, the second G. Get the log out of your own eye. Every, every conflict has two parts. Every conflict has two people in the conflict, at least two, minimum two. You can't have a conflict with yourself. Okay, maybe you can. <laughs> Apparently you can fight with yourself, okay? But then you get to need to get the log out of your own eye, okay? How can I show Jesus' work in me by taking responsibility for my contribution to this conflict? This is the next step. Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. First take the plank out of your own eye, okay? As we see in the beginning, all of our conflict begins in our hearts. There's a coveting. There's a desiring. There's a us, what I want, and I need to take responsibility for my part in this. This step helps you become aware of that. Before you go into a conflict, and many times we go into a conflict, obviously, you see, I'm so unhappy with what this person has done. What's your role? You're clean? No, you're not. And if you're going into that con conflict, set on telling them what they did wrong, then that conflict's not about the glory of God. It's about your vengeance. It's about your emotions, about getting what you want. It's about you. It's not about Jesus. Watch out. Man, I want to say, Satan has infiltrated conflicts. We're taking it back, guys. We're peacemakers now. If there is even the slightest possibility that you had a role in this conflict, then you need to praise Jesus when that comes to your attention. Here's the crazy thing about having a log in your eye. When you have a log in your eye, it closes your eye. You can't see it until someone else brings it under your attention. So when someone says, hey, I see you're doing this thing, and you tell them, no, go get the log out of your own eye first. Maga. You've got a log right there. There's a brother saying you've got a log right there. You want to chase him away? Want to walk with two logs? <laughs> that doesn't look good for you or for your testimony. Now, Janet, though most of us might feel that she was completely justified to lash out at Larry and his sarcasm and the way that he hurt, she didn't seek justification for her actions because her conflict was not about her. She went to Larry, she started off. I want to say, I'm sorry that I lashed out. I'm sorry. And here's what, what uh, Janet does. She applies the six A's of a true apology. I'm giving you a lot of G's and A's and things, okay? You need to pay attention. This is a true apology. This is how you actually say sorry, all right? Six A's. Number one, she admits specifically what she did. I lashed out, okay? When she says that, she does not ever use the words if, but, or maybe. I lashed out, but maybe you need to stop being so sarcastic. I lashed out, but it's because of your sarcasm. I lashed out, 
I wouldn't have if you weren't so sarcastic. It's not an apology, not at all. You avoid those words, otherwise that's not an apology, it's justification for your actions. She acknowledges the hurt that she's caused him. She says, Larry, I'm sorry I lashed out. That must have been embarrassing for you. She acknowledges that hurt. Do you see that? She accepts the consequences. She goes beyond. She says, I want you to know that I intend going to everyone who saw it. Steve and Joyce, they've probably forgotten about it. But I'm going to admit to them that I was wrong. She accepts the consequences. Why? Why does she do that? It's going to make her look bad. Hey, isn't it? She doesn't care what she looks like in front of people. She cares what she looks like in front of God. This conflict's not about Janet, guys. It's about Jesus Christ. That's why she can do all of this. If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't know Jesus, I'm sorry you're going to struggle to do this. You're not going to be able to do this. You'll do this because I'm telling you tonight, because this is virtuous. You'll have no supernatural power that helps you to actually do this. Because the Lord knows we need supernatural power to do this. Then she asks for forgiveness and she alters her behavior. This is how you really say sorry. This is a true apology. All right. Now, I can think of a question that arises. Who goes first? When two people in a, are, are in a conflict, who goes first? Who should get the log out of their own eye first? Who wants to try? <laughs> Great. Ten. Me. Here's what I want to say. Trick question. That's what you would have asked me, probably, some of you. Trick question. Doesn't matter. Just go. Both. Just start. Make it a point that before you restore the other person, before you address anything, you get the log out of your own eye. That's a, it's, a, it's a principle. Let's get to principle number three. Janet gently restores Larry. She's gentle with him. And she restores him. Here's the question we ask. How can I lovingly serve others by helping them take responsibility for their contribution to the conflict? Scripture, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, are you here spiritual? Are you followers of Jesus Christ? Ah, then you who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch of yourself because you will be tempted to make it about you again. Keep watch that you not be tempted to make this about you again. Now, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about three things she does to gently restore. She watches her tone of voice. She watches the tone of the offense. And she watches her tone of listening. Three things. Her tone of voice. She's not just confronting and she's not shouting. Okay? She's confessing. She's teaching. She's reasoning. She's encouraging, correcting, admonishing, forgiving. She offered Larry forgiveness before he even asked for it. What? Here's God's desire for you as a peacemaker in your tone of voice. God desires for you to adapt your wording and your tone of voice to provide for the best possible outcome that people will be reconciled to him first. That's what he desires. When you go into a conflict, you ask, what words can I use and in what tone that will provide the best outcome, the best possible chance that this person will actually reconcile to God and to one another? 
Look at what Larry says. Larry, when he obviously afterwards, he told that this is what he was feeling. He says, Janet's words stung, but her tone of voice and her reminder of God's forgiveness held out a glimmer of hope. The tone of the offense, oh my word. Guys, there's so many, so many uh, offenses and conflicts that can be overlooked. You need to ask a couple of questions. Is this offense actually dishonoring to God or just at conflict with your desires? Is it damaging your relationship with a person? Is it hurting others? Is it hurting the offender and their testimony of Christ? If no, then overlook. Walk past, forgive. But if yes, then sincerely go to them and restore. I wanna say it is so awesome. Do you hear the questions I'm asking, the things that Larry does? For Larry, uh, for, for Janet, sorry, the things that Janet does. For her, this is about Jesus, and secondly, it's about Larry. And thirdly, it's about her. She is saying, Larry, your testimony here is being damaged. Larry, maybe you don't mean to do it, but your sarcasm is pulling, pushing people away from you. I want to help you. I'm here for you. It's about Larry. That's beautiful. Tone of listening. James 1 verse 19 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. She addressed Larry with a question. Are you asking questions? Do you know why people do what they do? Or are we just assuming the worst? Proverbs 12 verse 18, here's a little one for you, says, the tongue of the wise bring healing. Final principle. Our final principle, principle number four, is go and be reconciled. How can I demonstrate the forgiveness of God and encourage a reasonable solution to this conflict? We see in Matthew chapter five, verse 24, Jesus says, hey, you wanna come worship? You wanna come lay down your life here? First go and be reconciled. Go reconcile to your brother. Reconcile, may be a peacemaker before you come. This is an invitation to go all out, to give your whole life to reconcile. Three ways we do this. First of all, we forgive as God forgave us. We prayed into that beforehand. Ephesians chapter four, uh, verse 31 says, forgive as Christ, as God in Christ forgive you. Guys, do you know that there is not a single sin that is as damaging to relationships and families as the sin of unforgiveness and bitterness? Did you know that there's not a single conflict that could ever be resolved without forgiveness? Show me one where you had to resolve a conflict and forgiveness wasn't necessary. It's not resolved. You need to look to the interests of others that what Christ did and we overcome evil with good. Romans 12. This is what Janet did. She continued to believe the truth about him. She affirmed him. Now, how in the world are you gonna do this? Okay, there's a lot of information. How are you gonna do this? What's gonna, that's gonna be the motivating factor. I wanna invite you, Lonnie, will you come on stage? And I, I really wanna, want us to minister just briefly into this. Okay, as I was preparing this message, God was showing me that there are some of us sitting here that you have gotten so hurt because of a bad conflict you struggle to forgive. Or your family... Right now, there's unforgiveness in your family. There's bitterness, and it's hurting many. It's defiling many. 
I want to I tell you that you need to know, all of you need to know, that all of us, all of us, we were enemies with God. We had conflict with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3 says, all of us were at enmity with God. All of us, following our desires, prioritizing that above God's glory, all of us had conflict with God. You know what God did? God said, I love them so much that I will be the peacemaker first. And God became a man in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I will do nothing unless I see the Father doing it. I can do nothing apart from the Father. He glorified the Father. Jesus encouraged his disciples, get the log out of your own eyes. Jesus gently restored so many people. When there was a woman caught in adultery, everyone, everyone wanted to stone her. If there's anyone here sitting here, you're in adultery, you're in hatred, you're in unforgiveness, you're in sin, you're in disobedience. Everyone's ready to stone you. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I don't condemn you. I died for you. I was condemned for you. Now let my love wash you clean and then you sin no more. Gently restores. Jesus was so willing to reconcile with you that he gave his life on a cross. Sacrificed himself to be a peacemaker. How can we not forgive others if this is the forgiveness that we have received from an almighty God? So here's what I want us to do. The first thing I wanna do, if you are here, either you are personally struggling to forgive someone or in your family right now, there is unforgiveness. There is not peace. And you want to stand in the gap and ask God to bring about make peace in your family will you stand so we can minister to you everyone great 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 all right can i ask the leaders who are around these people everyone if you're around someone will you stand up put your hand on them let's pray for these people take a moment it's a brief moment and I want you as leaders you're standing around these people will you pray pray out loud pray over these people let's be a family let's minister for forgiveness here tonight let's pray you pray go for it let's pray come on come on yes father come on forgiveness to wash over these families yes lord reconciliation to take place peace to be made restore reconcile yes Lord
Father, I thank you that right now where all these people are standing, you are giving hope. You're restoring hope that you will bring peace. You will bring reconciliation. You will bring it. Father, I experience you making a promise to every person in this hall right now. You say, if you, if you in this hall tonight will say, I wanna be a peacemaker. I wanna glorify God with my conflict. Then the Lord promises to make peace in your families. Father, I pray that right now you're raising up an army to make peace. You're raising up an army of peacemakers, of reconcilers, people who are gonna be on the front lines of war. They're gonna help all the people at war lay down their weapons and say, brothers, let's worship Jesus Christ. Let's worship His name. Father, I know there's some very real issues right now in this family. People are on the brink of divorce. People are on the brink of completely rejecting and becoming foreign to their families. Lord, we say in Jesus Christ, no. We say in Jesus Christ, reconciliation to take place, healing and redemption. Father, I pray that you will raise up an army of peacemakers. I pray that you will raise up an army of people who will say no more fighting and no more flighting. Peacemaking. We love you. You are here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just standing right here. There's one more thing that I wanted to do. If you handled conflict wrong in the past couple of months, you've got to, you can remember, man, I handled conflict wrong. I did not handle conflict in a God-honoring way. And you want to right now say, I want to turn around. I want to be a peacemaker. Will you stand up? Raise your hands. Take the call to be a peacemaker. Can we give God a hand? Yes. All right. Stay standing because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer of commissioning. You have just made a dangerous decision, guys. God's going to use you to be a peacemaker wherever you go. Stay standing. If you want to be a godly peacemaker, stand up. You want to be a godly peacemaker, stand up. I'm going to commission you. Anna, will you come stand with me on stage? Please, where's Wesley now? He's praying with someone. Will you come? Do you want to continue praying over there? You want to join me on stage? We're going to commission people. Commission people. Nati, come join me on stage. Sunay, Riz, come join me up on stage, please. Des, will you also join me from Stalis? Des is a leader in full-time ministry in our Stalis church. There we go. All right. You want to be a godly peacemaker? Raise your hands to the heavens. We're going to stretch out our hands over you. Let's pray. Father, I see an army of peacemakers. There's so much conflict in this world because people care too much about themselves and too little about you. Jesus, right now, we submit to your Lordship. We submit to your spirit. We submit to your truth and we will obey you. We will imitate you. We say we will be godly peacemakers. Father, the glory of God will reign in this nation. I see you taking small pockets of people in this place. 10 years from now, they're standing in government and they're making peace between parties. They're standing right there in parliament and they're making peace. And people are saying, we need to realign the country of South Africa for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what this country is about. 
Father, I thank you for these people right now, Lord. You will empower them as they look to the gospel, the number one peacemaker, Jesus Christ. They will be peacemakers in all the nations of the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.